This podcast contains adult language and explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Grant. And I'm Erica. And this is From From Crime Crime to to Crime. Welcome back to From Crime to Crime. If you're just joining us, I have some bad news for us. Crime Dogs is actually copyrighted by McGruff the Crime Dog, and I completely forgot about him. So, Erica, you won this round. Yep. And it looks like I'm winning the current round because Cadaver Dogs is being voted down as we speak. We did get a couple of suggestions. We heard Crimeys a couple of times, and we heard Crime Hounds. So, if you like either of those, go to our Instagram, From Crime to Crime, and vote. So, this week's episode takes place at the same time of last week's episode of Kristen Smart in 1996. Yeah, we'll get out of the 90s at some point, but talking about Kristen Smart last week, we talked about how those were the cases where we learned a lot of what we know now about cases about how you don't have to wait 48 hours and all those like really important things. And it got us thinking about the Amber Alert case and how the Amber Alert system was based on a case that happened, a real girl. Everybody may not know the story of Amber Hagerman. So let's just jump right in. January 13th, 1996... Amber Hagerman was nine years old. She and her brother Ricky, who at the time was five, went with her mother to their grandparents' house in Arlington, Texas. And from what we know, it sounds like they went there a lot. The kids kept their bikes there. They knew the area really well. And so they went over to Grandma and Grandpa's and asked, hey, can we ride our bikes? Mom said, yeah, but stay on the block. Okay, don't go off the street. But they didn't listen. Because it was 96. Everybody in every town in the entire world back then, would ride their bikes all over the place. I remember we had little places that we would ride our bikes, and it it didn't matter if it was right on the same street or if it was seven blocks over. Our parents had no idea where we were. Let's see, I would have been nine years old in 96. Mm -hmm. And I had a little more freedom to kind of ride around more than I would have given my son at nine years old. So it definitely was a different time where you could kind of... Well, it's because of this case. It's because the jackass in this case ruined it for the rest of us, and now we can't go ride our bikes down at the abandoned Circuit City. (laughs) Back then, Circuit City was still open, though. We could ride our bikes to the Circuit City. That's true. That's true. I was just trying to think the only thing abandoned that I know where we live is Circuit City. (laughs) But you're right. Circuit City was legit back then. Oh, man. Circuit City was so cool. I remember walking in there and just seeing all the... And I remember when it closed, too, and being and how sad I was about it because I wasn't <laughs> going to be able to buy my electronics there anymore. How stupid. You're not going to be able to buy some super cheap aftermarket radio for your car? <laughs> that was exactly what I was thinking of right now and what I was thinking of as a kid because remember they used to do it in the back? Yeah. They used to install <laughs> them and everything. Oh, yeah. I used to but think But then you always the had some boyfriend who was like, no, don't pay them 20 bucks. I can do it. And then he always did it wrong, and it was a big deal. Maybe. I don't know. I didn't have a boyfriend, <laughs> and I don't know how to do it. So <laughs> I'm not sure. But uh, Circuit City was the coolest. Yeah, it was. Anyway. All right. So getting back to the story. Amber and Ricky rode their bike two blocks away from their grandparents' house, which they weren't supposed to do. They ended up in an abandoned Piggly Wiggly <laughs> parking lot (laughs) yeah piggly wiggly who names these things i don't know like how do you work (laughs) there and be like hi welcome to the piggly wiggly 
I don't I don't know. How do you sign? Hey guys, I just put in my application for Piggly Wiggly. Oh, great. That's that's a Minnesota thing, I think. I wonder what they You know about that. No, I don't know about that. But I wonder what their uniforms are. You think they're pink? I imagine that they're pink and they have to wear overalls. Hmm. Those overalls with the shorts even. I can see that. <laughs> okay. So they're riding their bikes at the Piggly Wiggly. So they go back to to the Piggly Wiggly and they have loading docks in the back and they had these loading docks that made them be really cool makeshift ramps. So the kids are over there riding their bikes up and down. Ricky goes back to the house. He's over it. He's tired. He goes, Hey, I'm out. But Amber wanted to stay. So Ricky leaves. But when he gets back to the house, parents and grandparents send him back to go and get her. Yeah. But by the time he gets back to the parking lot, she wasn't there. Just her bike was on the ground. So he skedaddled back to his grandparents' house But in the meantime, a neighbor who lived behind the Piggly Wiggly grocery store, his name was Jim Kevill, was in his backyard and he saw Amber riding her bike around and he saw a blue or black pickup truck pull up and grab Amber and she was kicking and screaming and he put her in the truck and drove off. So this guy immediately ran inside and called the police and it was 3.18 p.m. Real quick, hang on, real quick. I, I couldn't imagine being in a situation like this. When you were, were talking about that, I was just so uncomfortable because I'm sure this guy looked across the street and felt absolutely helpless. It probably happened so fast. Oh, yeah. Well, and he was elderly. He was like 70-something. So it's not like... Yeah, so it's not like he could have ran after the truck. Right. So... You know, again, though, feel that feeling of helplessness. And I just I really do feel for this guy because he saw the whole thing, but couldn't do anything about it. But call the police. Yeah. Yeah. So it was 318 p.m. when he made the 911 call and her parents and her mom say that they left the house about three o'clock. So they rode down, rode around for a while before Ricky even rode back to the house. So it was literally a few minutes that Ricky was gone, that she gets abducted. It couldn't have been more than a few minutes. Really happened so fast. And that's what our parents told us is it could happen in a few minutes. Cause I, I remember arguing and saying the same things like, Hey, I want to just do this. It's going to be real quick. It could happen so fast. You never know. It could happen so fast. It's because it does. Oh, that's what your parents so told you that you could be kidnapped. Yeah. Oh, my mom yeah. always told me if I was kidnapped, they'd return me in a heartbeat. <laughs> I was like, what Being if I get friend, kidnapped? She's uh, like, they won't keep you. Trust me. Being your friend as long as I have been, I love you, <laughs> but I wouldn't kidnap you either. No way. Oh, no. Although you um, hear those stories about people getting kidnapped and held for days, they would kill me immediately. They'd be like, oh, my God, shut up. I know. Yep. <laughs> so anyway. So the grandpa came back after Ricky came home and said, hey, she wasn't there. We didn't see her. And by the time he got there, and again, these are just minutes the police were already there. The only thing that was left behind was Amber's bike that was laying on the ground. And the, obviously the grandfather was able to identify that. Right. The only description of the guy that they saw too was that he was about six feet tall, white, or maybe Hispanic man. So they don't have a whole lot to go off. So of everybody in Texas. Yeah, right. Exactly. I'm like, well, that covers just about everybody. So everyone I've known from Texas has either been. White or Hispanic and six feet tall. White Hispanic. Yep, absolutely. (laughs) All of them. Every single one. I'm like, was he wearing boots and jeans and a belt too? Or did he have ears? Did he have a dip dip in and a six shooter on his side? Yeah. No, we're not making fun of Texas. (laughs) No, it's just everything stereotypical of Texas. Yeah. 
So anyway, they had nothing to go on. The entire Arlington area is searching for Amber at this point. And incidentally, the local news station happened to be filming a documentary on Amber and her family for a, it was a segment about transitioning from welfare back into the workforce. And, and her, Amber's mom, Donna, had been in these job training classes through the state at the time. So they had a ton of video footage of Amber, thankfully, that they could plaster all over you know, the news stations and all over the town Which I really well. think helped everybody relate more like it kinda, yeah i think so too it brought her to life and it made you feel like you knew her i agree i mean i think that everyone's hearts go out for a nine-year-old girl anyway but right when you're able to see a like video of them it just it really does make that bring them to life and make them you know more human than they already are it was four days that this search went on and finally there was a man who was walking his dog near a creek bed uh, by his apartment complex when he discovered the body of a little girl. She was completely naked except for one sock. Ooh. It's, that's so hard. It's so hard to comprehend. Like, just stumbling upon something like this is just... Well, you automatically know awful. that it's it's not an accident. It's not a natural thing. It's something went really wrong here. So, I, could, I just imagine I would freeze and... Uh, 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 oh my God, you know, like one of those things where it's just, I don't know what to do. Like you never yeah. expect to be in that kind of a situation. Yeah. So the police called Amber's mom, Donna, and they let her know that they discovered a body before she found out on the news and that they hadn't identified it yet. But you know, I mean, I don't know how many nine year olds were missing at the time, but probably not many. Eventually it was determined that it was the body of nine year old Amber Hagerman. So it turns out that Amber had been violently physically and sexually abused her cause of death was cut wounds to the throat. The coroner determined that she may have been kept alive for up to two days after her abduction. So this is not good news. This next part about what we're about to say is is pretty graphic. So if you are sensitive to things like that, I now would like be a great time. this whole thing has been graphic. It has, but this, this takes a whole other part. Yeah. So... Donna Whitson, Amber's mom, wanted to see her baby and hold her and kiss her one last time. Police told her, though, she wasn't going to be able to do that because, and these are Donna's words that I'm quoting. They said I couldn't pick her up and hold her because if I did, her little head would fall off. So all I was able to do was hold her little hands, touch her little face, and kiss her on her lips. I told her everything's going to be okay because mommy found you. Oh, my God. End quote. Yeah. And... We debated about putting that in tonight, but I felt like we should put it in the podcast because I thought that it was important to get those raw emotions from a mother who just went through something so horrific and violent. She has been so open with the media, with the public, with anybody that will listen to her story about her daughter and try to help her or her advocacy, everything. She just, she's so good at making you feel it. She's so good at making you empathize with her. She even wrote the killer a letter. I did not know that. I've done a lot of research on this. Yeah, she wrote the killer a letter. I don't know how long it had been, but after a while of the, of them not catching him, she wrote the killer a letter trying to plead with him. She just has this amazing way of making you empathize with her. It's, it's really a gift. <laughs> I mean, I don't know... Obviously, it's helped because we'll find out later with all the advocacy work she's done. It's it's really been a, a thing. Yeah, absolutely. She's made the best out of an awful situation, if you will. 
Oh, yeah. Um, and like we said, we'll talk about that more in a minute. Yeah. So going back to when they found Amber, obviously the whole community was devastated and everybody wanted answers. It had rained pretty heavy in Arlington the night before Amber's body was found. And the thunderstorms and the rain washed away pretty much any forensic evidence that would have been with the body. So this sucks. From what I've always heard, they really have nothing. I've, I, that's kind of what I've heard, too, is that there's just they don't have much to go off of because it was all washed away. So they're kind of starting at, at zero and hoping for the best. And I don't think there's been any similar cases in the area to go off of either. There was one, but it was not of a child. She was an adult. She was like 18 or 19. And she was also found naked with one sock and her throat cut. But she was an adult. And so I don't know if victimology is a, you know, a factor. If I remember right, because I do now that we've talked about it, remember hearing something similar. I believe that man was in jail at the time of this. So maybe oh, I'm was wrong. He? No, you might be that, right. I And then there I, was I feel... then there was another little girl who was abducted out of her bed. Her throat was cut and she was left in a field to die and she survived. And that was also in Texas, and it was right around the same time. But it was like right. five hours away from here. So right. I'm not sure. It's that, plausible. Yeah. But they've never really said that they have a hard suspect or a... Yeah, I've never heard of anyone you know, being a person of interest, really. No, but I do know that they created a task force after to try to catch this guy. And the task force was assembled for a year and a half, and they had 12 full-time detectives on it. They investigated like 7,000 leads. Like they left no stone unturned. Unfortunately, though, they were still not able to find who did it. And that is still an open case today. Yeah. Because they have nothing to go off of. There is positive things that came out of this. There's actually a lot of really good things that came out of this. And not just in the the area, across the country and, and into the world. So when this all happened, in the area, there was a woman named Diana Simone. In my opinion, she is an American hero because what she did was she contacted the local radio station and she said, hey, you guys tell us about these severe weather warnings coming all the time. You know, you even, you know, send out alerts and why can't you let us know when there's a kid who's missing? Yeah. So that was where the idea started. So simple. It it was so (laughs) simple, but no, no one had really thought about it before. Yeah. She was a smart lady because she said this little girl was abducted at three o'clock in the afternoon. There was a crowded laundromat right next door, three o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday, and no one saw anything. She's like, that's not even possible. It's just people didn't know what they were looking for. They didn't know what they were seeing when they saw it. In that laundromat area, it was known that that's where a lot of undocumented people were. And when the police came, they would they would scatter. So- Maybe somebody else did see something, but when the police showed up, they had no other choice but but to run. Yeah, well, the police did a lot in the year after Amber went missing, reaching out community-wise, letting them know that there was no immigration issues. There, If you came forward, there would be no you know repercussions from that, but still nothing. And it's right. possible if it happened as fast as Jim Kevill, the neighbor, says that it happened, it's possible nobody in the laundromat saw anything. It could be. But it's not possible that nobody on the road saw anything, which is right. Diana Simone's whole point in making this phone call. She's like, people just didn't know what they were looking for. People saw that little girl in that car. They just didn't know what it- they were seeing. 
Right. Had they known to be looking out for a black or dark colored truck, yep. then they would have. So this is the time where Richard Hagerman, Amber's dad, and Donna Whitson, her mom, were so angry and they were so angry and they didn't have a killer to f- focus their anger on. So they needed to turn it into something constructive and positive. And so they really started to rally and campaign for stricter punishments for sex offenders. Richard Hagerman even started a group called PASO and stood for People Against Sex Offenders. And in June after Amber's murder, Richard and Donna went to D.C. to testify in front of Congress. And they were lobbying for like a national database for sex offenders. And obviously that's something that we have now. That's something that because of what happened to them and their family... And other families. There was other victims' families that pushed for that, too. Right. The the class family of Polly Class. Right. A whole bunch was, of families. Was very, was very much involved in that as well. Yeah, as long as with some other families as well. And then in October, they were invited to the Rose Garden at the White House where President Clinton signed the sex offender bill into law, which is what they went to Congress to lobby for. Yeah, thankfully we we have that now. I, obviously, too little, too late, but it's it's here now, and that's the really the important thing. Yeah, Texas led the charge in this, and they created the first ever Amber Alert system, and this was a way for police and broadcasters to be able to talk to each other and let let the communities know what was going on, and that in a timely manner, in a in a very fast, timely manner. So it was super slow at first, though. By two thousand and one, which is Five years after Amber, only four states had Amber Alerts. And the Amber Alert obviously is inspired by Amber Hagerman, but it it actually stands for America's Missing Broadcast Emergency Response. In 2002 is when it really started to heat up because they held the first ever White House conference and President Bush ordered the Attorney General to appoint the first Amber Alert Coordinator, whose name was Deborah Daniels. And by April of 2003, President Bush signed a law, the PROTECT Act, which laid out clear guidelines that other states could follow. And by February of 2005, Hawaii was the 50th state to adopt the Amber Alert. All right. So between go, 2002 and 2005, everybody got on board. Yeah, everybody jumped on this and there was no messing around. Like it worked and it worked very well. Right. So in 2005, the cell phone companies and the DOJ teamed up to come up with a way for people to opt in to Amber Alerts on their cell phones near like where they lived if they wanted to. And then in 2007, NECMIC got MySpace on board, which I imagine they made them their top eight friend right away. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> when I read MySpace, I was like, oh, wow, that was like a blast from the past. So in 2008, the OAAA... That's a lot of A's. (laughs) The Outdoor Advertisers Association of America, which I'm assuming is like billboards and those road signs, they got on board. I didn't know they had their own association, though. Yeah, I guess. Uh, I would never. I'm not going to Google that. So, yeah, if it's not right, someone tell us about it. You can send it to our email from crime to crime podcast at gmail.com. By 2009, all 50 states, D.C., Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands all had the Amber Alert and Canada and Mexico have also adopted the Amber Alert system. By 2011, Facebook finally pulls its shit together and gets on the train. 
<laughs> and not far by 2012, Google wakes up and implements Amber Alerts into their public alert system. By January of 2013, the wireless emergency alerts go into effect. So on your cell phone, when you're somewhere and it just goes off, you don't have to opt into it anymore. It just goes off. Right. And that went into effect in January of 13. And by February, it already saved an eight-month-old baby's life. So it worked. It's already worth its weight in gold. It saved one. I'm willing to get an Amber Alert blaring at, at my phone at 2 a.m. Oh, absolutely. Have you ever been in a public place when an Amber Alert goes off? Yeah, everybody's checking their phones. I was at the DMV one time when one went off. It was the scariest thing. It sounded like the world was ending. Oh, I bet it did, especially at the DMV where the world Because is everybody's ending. phones are like kind of different and not at the same time. And, you know, it was it was sketchy. Twitter in 2013 also created an Amber Alert page. So they're rocking and rolling on in there as well. In 2015, Waze jumps in. Then Waze is a traffic app for those who don't know. And that, and that includes Amber Alerts. And we said the Amber Alert's working, and it is. Yeah. And so at this point, there's Amber Alerts everywhere. I don't know that there could be an Amber Alert that goes off in your area and you miss it. They've done such a good job at disseminating that information quickly and as broadly as they can. And unlike you two putting their album on our phones, we want this stuff on our phones. We're happy to oh know that <laughs> kids are coming. I forgot about that. I couldn't. I was so pissed about that. <laughs> you two. We were all like, pissed about it. What a bunch of it. jerks that think everybody wants to hear their stupid songs. It's like, they're like, well, it's free. It's like, I don't, it's garbage. That's why it's free. It's taking up space on my phone. Delete. Ugh. And it's, ugh. So, to Bono. Uh, yeah, unlike Stupid Bono. Fucking <laughs> I'm sorry, if you like you two, I I can't <laughs> handle it. By the way, we may not agree on politics or the death penalty or pretty much anything, but I think we can all agree that you two is terrible. I agree you two is terrible. Okay. I know people Good. who will disagree with us and hopefully they'll go to our Instagram at From Crime to Crime and you know leave us some comments and tell us about it. But no. And Florida Georgia line. Oh, fuck them too. Mm, yep. Amen. So, dude, did you have you heard that photo commercial with Nickelback? Yeah. Have you watched that commercial? Because I just thought it was their real song, but it's not. It's a parody of that song. Yeah. It's hilarious. He talks about how his hair looks like ramen, and why does everybody <laughs> hate them? <laughs> I know everybody hates Nickelback, though. But yeah, it's it's totally funny. See, now that's one thing I can get on is I like Nickelback, and I will admit it. I'll be the first person to publicly admit I like Nickelback. Actually, I did see Garth Brooks say he liked Nickelback once, but I'm still not sold on that. I think he was just saying it because he felt bad for them. Okay, well, here's what I think. They sell a lot of albums, so... Yeah, somebody likes them. More than just me likes Nickelback. What's uh, fine. You too doesn't sell a lot of albums. They just give them to you. They have to give them to you for free because you won't buy them. Yep. Maybe we should do an Instagram poll on you two or Nickelback. All right. When we air this case, I will make an Instagram poll at the end of it for people who like YouTube or Nickelback, and we'll see who likes which shitty band more. No, cool. Nickelback is not shitty. Oh, that's right. You think that. I forgot. Okay, They're just Canadian. Uh, I, I have family in Canada, so I'm very happy with the Canadians at all times. I can't believe that you're going to ruin your music credibility by saying how much YouTube sucks and then say how much you like Nickelback. None of that makes any sense. Hey. I'm eclectic. <laughs> That's one way to put that, yeah. I don't know why Nickelback got such a bad rap. 
I don't know, but when they did, they really took it right on the chin. Like just everybody piled on them. All right, let's get back All into right. this Amber Hagerman case. Investigators have worked tirelessly for years on this case, and it hasn't gone anywhere. They've investigated over 7,000 tips and leads, and they've come up empty-handed every single time. And like you said, there was even that task force that was created over a year and a half, and with 12 different detectives working full-time on the case, they still weren't able to find anything. There are no real suspects, and for years, it's been assumed no evidence except for that one eyewitness until January, because in January of this year, at the 25th anniversary of her murder, the Arlington police had a press conference, which Donna was there and the mayor and a bunch of people. And they said that there's new technology that might give them the ability to enhance the DNA profile that they have. And I was like, wait a second. Yeah. Okay. I thought we didn't have anything. But he said they've been checking every year on new technology and new things to, you know, to re-go over all their evidence. And he says that this year's the year. The police and the investigators said that there's new technology, that this could be it. I'm literally staring at my computer screen. I'm like yelling. I'm like, yes, this is it. I, I'm just we're ready for it to come out. But we have no idea when it's going to come out this year, what they've found. You know, it could be next week. It could be... December 31st, 2021. We really have no idea, but... Or least, by other cases, it could be never. By other cases, it could be never, so... Sometimes the police just are overconfident about what they have. Right, and without knowing what they have, it's hard to say that, yeah, you know, with the new DNA samples, they'll be able to, to prove anything, because, again, we have no idea what they have or how good it is. So, do you have any theories on this one, bud? This one's so hard that without anything to go off of, I mean, I think it, I don't think it was something that just happened once. I think that this is somebody who probably did this, maybe didn't kill every single time, but I think this is somebody who committed more than one atrocious act on, on somebody so young and so innocent. Yeah. What about you, Erica? Do you have any theories or uh, ideas? You seem to always have something, something boiling in the head of yours. (laughs) Oh, I got a lot of theories and ideas. I don't know. It could be somebody that did this once or it could be somebody that did it once and then was arrested or killed or moved out of the country. I've seen that a lot, too, that I think because the eyewitness said he could have been white or Hispanic. A lot of people have said, like, oh, maybe he went back to Mexico. And it's like, well, even still, if we have his DNA, we might still be able to catch him. Yeah. I don't think it matters if he's in another country. And we can extradite from Mexico, so come on over. Can we? I don't know. Probably. I feel like you just said that, and I don't know if that's true. Well, I did just say that, but I just assumed Because it's usually really hard to get Americans back from Mexico if they wind up in jail down there, so... I don't know. I don't really have any theories. There's not a lot to go on except the eyewitness description, and we know how reliable eyewitness descriptions are. (laughs) Like, I'm not saying that that guy was lying or anything, but they're just... When you witness a traumatic event, your brain doesn't work the way it does when you're just looking at something that isn't traumatic. Right. It it happens so fast that who knows? Right. Like this guy said that he thought that it might have been a Ford. Well, it's like this guy was a 70 year old guy in Texas. You're telling me he didn't know the brand of truck. I guarantee you he knew the brand of truck. But it was such a traumatic thing that he was seeing. He didn't put it all together, you know? Right. So I don't know. I don't know how reliable that description is. And even if it is reliable, it's so generic. That's not going to get us anywhere. No, it's not. I mean, I'm close to six feet and a white guy. So like, I mean, luckily I was only nine when that happened. But, you know, 
Yeah, it, it could this is a podcast and nobody can see me, so I could say I'm close to six feet too. That's true. You are very close to six feet on the short side. What do you mean on the short side? Yeah, you know, you're on the you're on the on the short side of getting to six feet. Yeah, you're on your way. It's just you yeah, know, I'll get you're, there. You're at the bottom of the hill. You know what I mean? But like you're on the you're you're no 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 you're climbing. I'm halfway up. I hit a growth spurt since the last time I saw you. You know, quarantine, man. I'm gonna see you this weekend. So, <laughs> uh, how are you gonna explain that? Yeah, no, I just think I just think that um, there's there's just not a lot to go on, and unless they really do have DNA, or somebody confesses, or somebody's family member says, "Hey, my creepy ass uncle drove a black Ford." in 96 and he would totally do something like this. <laughs> yeah. Like I just don't see how else they're going to solve it. I agree. I don't know how yeah, unless someone confesses or they they have more evidence than than we know about. There's Hopefully. Ho- hopefully, but unless unless there's something else that they're just not telling us, then this is going to be a very hard case to ever solve. Right. So, all right, bud. Well, you have anything else to add to this week's episode? Just, again, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We've had so much fun, and it's so nice to hear from everybody. Uh, again, please leave comments on our Instagram from Crime to Crime or send us an email from Crime to Crime podcast at gmail.com. All right. All right. I think we're up. I love you. Love you too, bud. Bye.